guess you can't play the intermediary thing either. Man, I know everything broke. Um, a little different intro today because OBS did an update and they broke some stuff. OBS is the podcast software we use. Stinking software developers. Um, that's what they do, though. They break stuff. They're irritating and, and people, too. What I do for a living, if you don't know, I test software for a living. And this just means, if you're a developer and you're watching this, somebody didn't self-test their code to see if it was going to break stuff. That's exactly what happened. I would be writing this up as a bug and sending it back. And being like, you need to fix this nonsense. What has that got to do with our topic today? Nothing. Well, it does, actually. <laughs> today we're talking about our enemy. Is that pretty fair? Yeah, so you got to put on your kingdom thinking caps, as my first grade <laughs> teacher would have said. And you had to do this when you were in first grade. You had to put yeah, on your thinking put on cap. Your thinking cap because i don't know any other creative way to put it out there uh before we before we jump into talking about our enemy and how we deal with him it them whatever personal pronoun the enemy chooses these days um <laughs> i'm feeling a little salty today ain't gonna lie uh that update must have threw you for a loop it, well it just kind of irritated me because it's just unnecessary anyway sorry uh i know right um, I don't like to give a lot of attention. Like, I think sometimes we give too much attention to the enemy, to talking mm -hmm. about the enemy. Well, we do. We give way too much yeah. attention to the enemy. We being our culture, our church culture. But but at the same time, he is walking around as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour, as he said to the Lord. And he's very real. And he does have dominion and authority that was given to him by God to do things in this realm, in the earthly realm. And uh, when he took Jesus up onto, you know, the pinnacle of the, and through the temptation and put him on the pinnacle of the temple, I can give you all this. It wasn't really true because God's, Jesus has all authority. Um, but to some degree, the enemy does have the ability to influence and bring up earthly things. And uh, that God's given him that authority in some ways, but yet he's always simultaneously in control and in check by God as well. It's a weird tension. What are your thoughts on that? Well, I don't know if it's a weird tension or not. He's about to openly disagree with me. No, I'm not going to openly disagree. This is about how we see this. Mm. So mm. we talk a lot about how you know, what we think God is doing and how we get ourselves in a condition so that we can kind of see what God does and what he thinks. And depending on where you are and your, I even hate to use the term spiritual journey, but... Well, that's what it is. Well... It's your sanctification. It is sanctification, and Hebrews would call it uh, uh, your maturity level. Yeah. So let's just call it like it is. Okay. Uh, not down. not trying to talk down to anybody, but I mean, we got to have relative terms here that don't change. Yeah, or we'll be all over the map. So, uh, my wife tells me I come across a lot more gruff and those kinds of things and people around me, and I I get that. Don't mean it, but there's not is. wrong. <laughs> anyway, uh, well, I guess if you've come from some of the things I had, you, it wipes <laughs> out niceties to a certain extent. Uh, but I'm really just a big, lovable fuzzball. But anyway. Anyway. So, 
uh, we talk about these things with God and looking at Satan is not different. You have to look at him through the eyes of God as well. Because where God is, what God thinks, and what God does, that is reality. Not where we're at and what we think we're dealing with and those things. And that's a mind shift. That's a thing that maturity brings over a period of time, I guess, or as with me anyway. Where I even look at myself when I'm in bad places, whether I'm, you know, irritated like you were with the software stuff at something or um, kicking myself because I'm feeling pretty useless today or whatever that is. Those are not real things, and I've, I've learned to catch myself in one of the scriptures we're going to read here in just a minute in Corinthians. Is that scripture where it talks about taking these thoughts captive. Right. And what that means is, is that when I'm feeling those things, whether I'm really ticked off and it's making me lose my Christian walk, so to speak, or I'm, or I'm in the depths of despair... I'm at a place now to where sooner or later I'll catch that and I'll see what it is. And I have to get a hold of that and go, I don't care what I'm thinking or how I'm driving this thing or what it's making me feel like. I have got to find out where the kingdom stands in this. And it checks me. And I may have to go apologize or I may have to, you know what I mean? Right. But the point is, is that you, you have the capacity to get right. Not always by your own power, but by the spirit that lives within us. Right. So... With all that said, in looking at Satan, what does that mean? Well, when we sin or do things or see people sinning or see uh, something evil going on in the community, it's right to blame Satan to a certain extent. He does have dominion and authority as far as we're concerned. That's what that's right? a good way to put it. Yeah. And so that's the vision. That's the difference that you have to get a hold of because of the saved Christian Christ and everything he is and the Lord God in heaven, 100% of who he is all the time is within us. Right. And it's his power. We don't get to wield it when we want to. We have to wield it how he wants it wield. Well, he'll wield it through us as we yield to him. Well, maybe even a yes, as we yield in various aspects and stuff. And the thing is, the maturity level, you get to a place and you just kind of stop. And you don't know how to deal with stuff. So then you start talking about demonology and witches. And you know what? All those demons and stuff, they're real. I've probably seen them in more ways than a lot of people would ever care to. And I didn't go looking for them just in my mission travels and all that kind of stuff. And I don't go looking for them now. Because there is one thing for sure. If you put aside the spirit of the Lord and you want to go stare the devil in the face and tell him how you're going to take him down... After he gets done laughing, you're going to find yourself with his foot on your neck. Well, and I think a good <laughs> biblical example of that is the sons of Sceva, you know, where they, they got, they went up and tried to cast out these demons and they got their tails kicked and sent away naked. And, you know, cause they, and the, that's a the, good picture. The demonic response was Jesus. We know Paul, we've heard of who are you? And at the same time, he was probably getting punched in the mouth. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and so we've been talking about shadow versus reality a lot. That's just where I've been studying and encouraging people on the positive side to look past the shadow of religion, look past the shadow of your negative circumstances to find the reality of what God's thinking and doing and all that kind of stuff. Well, the flip side of the coin is to look past the shadow of the negative and the bad things and the conflict and oppression and all of those sorts of things too, to see 
what exactly what really kind of led me into this thinking process was studying for uh, Wednesday night. I'm doing some teaching um, out of Matthew 16 where Jesus rebukes Peter. And for, he says, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be whatever, you know, I'm going to be killed and tortured. And Peter infamously says, oh, not on my watch, I paraphrase, you know, how far be it, Lord, you know, whatever. And when he says, no, you, that's not going to happen, Jesus turns and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Very famous passage that everybody's yeah. familiar with. And there's like, man, Jesus called Peter the devil. And I would submit that though he was in our understanding and physical relations of you know humanity, he was speaking to Peter. But yeah. he was addressing the enemy. Really, legitimately, he wasn't necessarily calling Peter, you are the devil. It was, there's a spirit of Satan that's influencing you to tempt me to do this. So you got to be careful how you word that stuff because it, you know, well, save people can't be. Uh, that's not uh, what I mean. I know that. But depending on where you're at, you may start getting confused by that stuff. I would tell you he was talking to Peter. It was kind of a both and. I would I would I would agree with that. Well, and what I mean by that is, is that uh, Satan was obviously in the background pushing what he could push. Right. So, and I say that very deliberately. So, how do we know all this stuff? Well, we talk about figuring out what God thinks and does, and all that. Well, we look at specific peoples and their walks and those kind of things, and yeah. watch how God does things. We can do the same thing with Satan, mm -hmm. and we have some very specific places. Uh, we've got Adam and Eve in the garden, Yeah, the, the serpent. We've got Job, which is the probably the most famous one, so to speak, and probably the most in-depth. And then we've got where he takes Jesus out in the wilderness, or Jesus goes out in the wilderness, and Satan is there, and Satan gets to have at him a little bit. Yeah. Uh, so those are very open things for Satan himself. And then... Through Acts, you get to you you get to see places where demonic things are happening, not necessarily Satan himself, right? But certainly his influence and his things. So you, when you go and read those stories and look at that, those are things to ponder on to figure out what it looks like when this Satan, who's been given power over this dominion, and that's the thing you got to get a hold of. It's not power over God or reality. Right. It's only power over where we live and how we do it. And he gets to actually see God. And like I told, I think it was last week or the week before, from watching Satan do these things and read these things, that's kind of how I came up with this thing that Satan is jealous because he wants to be God. But I think it's even deeper than that. He's lied to himself so much. That he thinks he, he can be. He thinks he can be God. Yeah. And he's angry because... He it's doesn't, not work, it's he, not working out. He doesn't get the chance. Yeah. And so... <laughs> well, and, and the fact that it's a both and, and it's like, and we're talking about the shadows and the reality. It's not an either or scenario. It's not a zero sum game. Yeah. You know, when God handed down the, the temple instructions to Moses, he really was serious about do this correctly. This is important stuff. It is real to you. It's how you interface with me. And then he expands on that in Hebrews and said, yeah, it is important, but it's just a shadow of what's really going on. And so in that moment in Matthew 16, I see Jesus 
speaking into both the shadow and the reality at the same time, if, in the sense that the corporeal, the, the physical and the spiritual at the same time. Because there was Peter the man who was a, an autonomous individual that's created by God who in that moment was allowed Satan to push certain of his buttons. Well, he might not even realize That's it. what I'm saying. See, being two-dimensional people, we always think it is, it's not a, or it is a zero-sum game. Yeah. And it's not. And so th this is a good teaching moment. And I think when Jesus said that, part of it was, well, it was. It was to the point, and he was speaking to the evil that drove that. Yes. At the same time, the reason I say I think he kind of rebuked Peter in that, whether Peter was at the maturity level, so to speak, where he could have seen that and taken that thought captive before it came out of his mouth. Yeah. Jesus is the beginning and the end. The Alpha and the Omega. So I think when he spoke that, he was looking ahead almost to know that Peter would learn that. Yeah, he was so almost planting a seed, as it were. If Yes, yeah. that's the way the development happens. And I'm, I'm explaining it the way so that wherever you are, don't go beating yourself up all the time about stuff. Well, I think it was probably really <laughs> jarring to Peter. Well, and in our culture, we would say, well, but you shouldn't do that to people. Right. Well, you either start learning why the kingdom does what it does, or oh, and we know you can that, be irritated all the time. We know that Jesus wasn't telling Peter, you're... You're Satan. You're the worst thing that's ever happened to humanity, which is the way a, a human would take that. You know, it's like, oh my goodness, you call me the devil. And, well, uh, and I'm sure the rest of them were like, what? Because if you read on into 17, six days later, Peter got to go up on the Mount of Transfiguration. Yeah. You know, and so he was taken in still as a member of the inner circle, Peter, James, and John. He was, he was taken up onto this place to see something that not everybody got to see. The, the the Jesus taking on his glorified form, seeing Elisha and Moses there. And that's a whole different kind of discussion. But it was, it was my point in even bringing that up is, even in the rebuke, Jesus wasn't saying you're done here. Right. Oh, no. No, was, no, no. Was, this is a, this is a, and then I don't want to get too far off of what our topic is today. Because I think that part of the reason that he, Jesus was able to do that Yes, he's God, but he's also Jesus, the man. Um, and the reason Peter was able to weather through that, and even in that transfiguration moment, he still had this, oh, let's build a tabernacle. Let's build a religious order to this and make, yes. you know, and put it yeah. in. And then God himself shut that down by showing up in this bright cloud of light, and all of a sudden they all go down as dead men. But it was the ability of Jesus to operate and speak into the reality of both existences. Yeah. And to really understand, because his, his, his battle in that moment wasn't with just Peter the man. It was with the evil that was influencing the man. And that takes us to Ephesians 6. I think you want to start there in 2 Corinthians. Well, I read Ephesians, Ephesians 6. Ephesians 6, everybody's going to know it if you've been around church very long. Um, verse 12, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this darkness, against evil spiritual forces in the heavens. For this reason, take up the full armor of God so you may be able to resist in the evil day and having prepared everything to take your stand. 
And in that moment to me that we're talking about Matthew 16, Peter needed to take a stand against the evil powers that were influencing his emotions. And he wasn't. He was he was giving himself to them, probably not even consciously. He was just being Peter. Yeah. It's just the way he was wired. Not on my and he was and his intention was good. I'm gonna protect you. I've got your back. And yet that good intention was being driven by evil. So there's a there's kind of a a not a counter, but a kind of an equal movement here with that. Uh in terms of uh I believe that Jesus corrected that. He corrected Peter, and he was identifying what Satan was doing in there. And, you know, I think Peter was like going, what do you mean I'm Satan? Yeah. There was probably all kinds of things going through his head. But what was implanted there, not just from Jesus speaking, but it's almost like because of Peter was a creation of God from way back, and I think God even looked at it from a position where you do have the capacity because I created you to be able to ascertain some of this stuff. Yeah. Now that got to have saved in the spirit. Knows not even getting into that argument. Just look at this on a really big picture. So, uh, but when Jesus speaks that, however Peter took it, whenever, however long it took him to be able to look back and go, that was the moment. I know what he was talking about. Not arguing when it, you know, he was saved at Pentecost or whatever. I mean, some of that's kind of obvious, I think. But wherever that transpired, you know, because you read, we're talking about the Peter that wrote the books now. I mean, that, that guy, he had some vision, right? But when Jesus spoke that, um, and Peter realized what it was, Jesus was looking at a time down the road where growth and maturity and those kind of things take take place that's looking at things the way god does mm -hmm. in contrast to that the reason i bring this up is is because i know matt a long time i walk in here he's mad at the osb and <laughs> and you know i'm coming in here all spiritual ready to talk about the kingdom i'm really making this bigger than it is but for a reason well i just something sets in my crawl and i'm like looking at matt and i'm going you are not a kingdom individual. <laughs> and that's a marker that places in my head. And so from now on, because he's having a bad day, I've got a marker in my head, and that's what I think about him all the time. And in my, not really, I'm just, and we won't let that go. That's not kingdom thinking. Right. That's very linear thinking. I can't get past what they did or what I saw them do, whether they did it to me or I just saw them doing it somewhere else. So I override them with that thought over everything that happens. You can't let go of that and see if you did that, you'd see Peter where he was told Satan get behind him. And then the verses, the Peter that's writing the books in the Bible, you got to be able to look at that and go, wow, look at that growth and accept it. Instead of going, yeah, I know what he's writing over here. And yeah, it's good, but. I saw what he did over there. <laughs> you can't. That's Satan stuff. Yeah. That's what that is. And you, you know, you got to forgive and you got to let go. And those things are learned. But I'm telling you, those are the points where Satan's pushing. And uh, over time, you got to start learning 
the battle is against the flesh is not against the flesh and blood. It's not what he invokes in me in some memory that I have that's not worth anything. I got to look at him where he is right now and what he's done and I can contrast right. it to what I saw over here and go, wow, there is a big difference in there and accept it for where it's at. That's kingdom thinking. Which which actually segues into 2 Corinthians 10 because to me, Ephesians 6 lays out the reality of what's happening yeah. is you're not in, and we always think of it as like, I'm not fighting against Tim's flesh and blood. I'm fighting against the principalities that are controlling him. That's true. But it also applies to me. Yes. And yeah. that's why he says to mortify the flesh. You know, there's, mm -hmm. there's waging war against my own flesh that really that battle is also against the principalities or whatever. That's really where the battle lies, which takes us to 2 Corinthians 10. And yeah. um, what is it? Verse 4, is that where we want to? Verse 3. He says, for although we live in the flesh, we're talking about, because in Ephesians 6, he says, we don't battle against flesh. And yet in 2 Corinthians 10, he says, but in fact, we do live in the flesh. It's a good, you know, comparison. But we do not wage war according to the flesh. Now, in Ephesians 6, he says we're not waging against the flesh. He, To me, this ratchets it up and says not only are we not battling the flesh, we don't even wage war according to or in the yeah. rules of, with the rules of engagement are even different. Yeah. Like, if I was just, you and I got crossways with one another. And spirit was not involved. It's just flesh. Well, we just need to go outside and settle it, you know? And at our ages, that would be hilarious. It would be a TikTok-worthy video because it would last about four seconds and somebody who's going to be limping or out of breath or on have the way a heart to, attack. Have a heart attack. And, you know, it's like we, were, we were boxing one time and we were back here at Software Builders here at Martin's Mill and we decided we were going to box at lunch, you know, and, and, and I boxed a couple of rounds. And we were like one-minute rounds, dude. And after a one-minute round, I yes. looked like that me character that's like overweight. <laughs> Couldn't breathe. <laughs> and and but, but he's telling us in 2 Corinthians, he's like, Ephesians says we're not doing it according, or we're not battling the flesh, and even if we were. But we're living in it. But we have different rules of engagement. And then he says in verse 4, Since the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but are powerful. And there's a, there's a, and I won't even read the rest of it yet. He's making a contrast there that's interesting to me. Is, is that the weapons that we would use in the flesh are not powerful. Yeah. And that's the power of our words, you know, our anger, our physical whatever. We're going to fix this. Yeah. They're not powerful weapons. But these, he says, are powerful. But they're powerful through God. Yeah. Through the demolition of strongholds. And if you cross-reference to me the fact that he's like, in Ephesians, we're not wrestling flesh and blood. And, and there are people that kind of take this to some weird, crazy levels. But it, there's some truth in the fact that we're not even battling political parties. You're not battling governments nearly as much as you are he says we are battling the spiritual forces behind them yeah um if you if you go to the bible project the bible project on youtube has a section of videos on just the spirit realm angels and demons and that sort of thing and they have one that talks about this mm -hmm. and it is excellent 
it's a cartoony little thing, but it's probably one of those, Tim Mackey, one of the most concise understandings of how kingdoms and realms and men and authorities that we would see as authorities on the earth are influenced by spiritual authorities. And when you can kind of get this silly cartoon picture in your head of it, you tick me off. And when you do what Jesus did, which was see through Tim Gandy, it's like, yes, you're doing the action. You're saying the words, but there's something, and I don't mean it like spooky Halloween beyond, but there's a, there is an enemy that's influencing that. And he said, that's where your battle is. And then your rules of engagement on that level are different. I can smack you in the mouth. That's not going to impact the spirit realm. Yeah. And it's not going to pull down the stronghold. And so that's why we pray. I was talking with a guy at work this, this morning. He was like, if everything falls apart, pray. If everything goes great, pray. Because right. that's our battle. And and that's our the, the way that we that we wage war. And he says to put on the armor of God. And all of the armor of God really is is just mindsets towards who we are in Christ. If you think about it. Yeah. The helmet of salvation, that's a remembering a reality of that we're saved. The breastplate of righteousness. Now that reflects our actions. That we're living holy and righteous lives. The shield of faith, that's a gift of God. And you know, the sword of the spirit, that's study. The gospels, the good news, you know, the shod your feet and the the belt of truth and those sorts of things. And it's it's really just how the reason that we spend so much time talking about vision and how we see the the world and seeing things the way God sees them or trying to with minds that aren't like his is because all of our weapons of our stand, the weapons of our warfare and everything are absolutely 100% tied to seeing reality like he sees it. Does that make sense? It does make sense. What do you think? It made me think of something here. Is it first Corinthians two 14 or second Corinthians two 14? That says what? It says, but the natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit of God for their foolishness to yeah. him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things. What that means is, is you can know the mind of God. The more you hang out in Him, the more you start seeing and understanding those things. And the more it looks different than the world around you. Yeah. John the Baptist. And, oh, man. Man, we could go off in 5,000 different directions on this kind of stuff uh, in a good way. Uh, But don't be so scared of the things that are demonic. I have a healthy appreciation for that stuff. Like I said, I don't go looking for it. Don't even want to get into those dark realms. Uh, But my view on it is, is that Satan is nothing more than a tool of God. What do you mean he's a tool of God? He's, he's, he's evil. He's, he's a tool of God in the fact that God uses him at his pleasure, at God's pleasure. And that seems kind of weird, but even in Corinthians, (laughs) I think it's in Corinthians, you know, they were having some really moral, ugly stuff going on in there. And Paul told some of these people that won't let go of this stuff, I think they were saved. He said, cast them out, let Satan have them for a while. (laughs) 
Whoa. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that means that's not a flippant statement. That's a statement from a guy who understands the spiritual things that are going on. Well, and he knew that doing that, let's just say, you know, turn somebody over to a reprobate mind, I think King James says, you know, or cast them out of the church so that they can be sifted or whatever. Um, he knew that was going to be tragic. It was going to be hard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But he understood their position, their declared position in Christ. Yeah. In such a way that he's like, I'm not concerned about their soul. He was yeah. concerned about their flesh's willingness to turn loose. Yeah. You, you know what I'm saying? Because he oh, left yeah. the door open for them to come back. And he, he understood God's position is not linear. God's understanding of how he sees the end from the beginning. And it's not just that he manipulates the, the present because he happens to know what the end is. That's very shallow theology. It's that he's working the whole thing. All things do work together. Yes. past present and future he yes. and i my brain starts melting when you start trying to articulate that because our brains just kind of fry when you start thinking about it or trying to articulate that sort of an existence into a two-dimensional mind which is what we kind of have and it's not about following the rules i pray a certain way to deal with demonic things should you pray to deal with demonic things you bet you should again this is about how you look at it the biggest fight that we have as humans trying to get ourselves, and that's not even an accurate way to say it, trying to get ourselves right with God is giving up the right of ourselves. Mm. And we may say, I'll, I do, I give up the right to myself, but there's things in you that you don't even know that you haven't let go of or that you even need to. Right. And that's where the sanctification thing, let me tell you something, when you give up your life to, to God, and you really want to do that, and you, the Spirit can dig in places you never even could conceive that you had. Yeah. And it will rip them up by the roots. Well, when he said, take up your cross and follow me, that's, that's really the next part of, of uh, after the rebuke of Peter, is how, how do you even explain that? Oh, you, you know, the cross is an agent of death, it's capital punishment, whatever, you know, you want to kill myself. That's not what he's saying in the physical. He's like, you got to give up everything, including everything in yourself, self-preservation, self-exaltation, self-promotion, yeah. because it's simply not about you at this point. And, and he's like, give up all of your stuff. Everything that you hold dear is on the table. You got to be like Abraham putting Isaac on the altar. He was the child of promise, and we know that Abraham believed God because it says so, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he, he, and you can, it's a play on words. It's all, you know, all of that kind of stuff. But it says the Lord will provide Himself a lamb, and linguistics would say He meant you could provide. He's going to provide Himself as the lamb, or He really means He Himself will provide yeah. something. I don't care how you linguistically divide it. He he believed that God was going to do something, even if it was raise Isaac back up. Yeah. You know, I believe that's why he had to call out to him twice. Well, but that's the other thing that you got to remember. At the time he offered him up, if he would have asked him to do it 20 years before, he wasn't ready. Right. There was a growth function in that thing. And that's that kind of ties back to what I was talking about earlier. But how's that? What does that got to do with Satan? Well, we know that Satan 
is always trying to get hold of everything that belongs to God. Because yeah. even Jesus said, Satan's asked, asked me to, or asked to let me, let Satan sift you like wheat. Yeah. And he almost said it in kind of a, they were talking a conversation that came out and they kept talking about yeah. something else. <laughs> uh, yeah, it was like, oh yeah, the other day Satan came by and said, hey, let me have Peter. It was all like, like you were asking for a donut. So yeah, if if a bunch of spiritual eggheads were sitting around like us saying about that, you know, we'd have parked on that and been trying to, and to God it was like a, a it wasn't even, he knows it's there all the time and it doesn't manipulate him. Yeah, right. And so, well, and what uh, that's it? the guy that lives within us. And you look at his response to it, though, but I've prayed for you. And yeah. he doesn't say, I've prayed for you so that you're not sifted. That's not what he said. Right. He says that when you return, yeah, you'll encourage the brethren. Yeah. And there's an indication in there that he's like telling the devil, I'm reading into, okay, this is not me quoting scripture or whatever. So don't take that like that. But the connotation is kind of like he said, you'll have your day. You'll have your day with yeah. him. But he's not going to stay there. Yeah. And he's like warning Peter. Yeah, there's gonna a sifting is coming, bro. Yeah. But but uh, that's, I think that's right. But when you come back, I'm I'm praying for you. He wasn't even praying for him about the sifting, if you read the text. I he was praying about what he was gonna do when he got back. Yeah. When he was returned to yeah. his strength to encourage the brethren. And if you read the books that Peter wrote, he's in the he is supernaturally not just because it's inspired scripture, but just his demeanor yeah, is different. That's a guy that's looking at things from the kingdom, kingdom perspective, perspective totally. That's not the Peter that was walking around with Jesus. He was still in a learning phase, if you want to call it that, yeah. and it, it wasn't their time. But he was willing to be transformed. Yeah. See, that's the place where all the apostles, they gave up themselves to be transformed. And then we see them in the in their later books and that kind of stuff versus when they were walking around kind of being doobers. Uh, <laughs> and they were. Yeah. They were not the same people. And so there's a development there, and that, that's what we get to see. And sometimes the Lord uses Satan to deal with things like that because if he's living in you, it's almost like he's going to let Satan have the things you want to do that are not right. It's going to burn out. Yeah. That's not the way to do it. Don't get me wrong. I'm not telling you to to work out your sin until you're tired of doing it not saying that but from a, from a from a from a spiritual perspective that's almost what's 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 there it seems like that well and, and it's and part of it you know the reason i even wanted to bring it up is it's there's so much conflict in our world there's conflict yeah. in our churches there's conflict in our families in relationships and it's so easy for me and i'm Right here, it's easy for me to get focused on the person, on the flesh, but also there's conflict in myself, yeah. relentless conflict in myself, and the admonition is the same. My battle is not even at that level. It, I'm battling with my flesh, the sin and, the, and sin and the devil. It's in the mix, but the the victory comes when you wage battle at that realm of. Mm -hmm. I know where this thought's coming. That's why he says to take those thoughts captive. Yes. Because there is a reality to the enemy 
self-defeating thoughts, stinking thinking, some people would call it, you know, the self-defeating thoughts, the fueling of anger and division amongst brothers yeah. and sisters, the fueling of, yeah. of anger and division. Now, but that doesn't say there's not a time to stand because he says in Ephesians 6 to stand. Well, and that's a conversation all in itself, too. Yeah, he calls a, us to stand. He doesn't call us to draw our sword and initiate battle. Yes. That's a whole other conversation. And that's why he says... Why relative here? And I think in Second Corinthians, he says, in other words, the battle's coming to us. Yeah. It's coming. You don't have to go seek it. If you're following the Lord, the enemy doesn't want that. The battle will come to you. So what do you do? Well, your your weapons are not of the flesh. You go to your knees. You remember your authority of who you are. You take you can take those thoughts captive because he said you can. And I think a picture to look at that is like Lot when he was in Sodom and Gomorrah. Outside of what I read in Hebrews about Lot, if I didn't have that, I would just look at Lot as a selfish or self-absorbed or whatever. But it says that his righteous soul was tormented there. Yeah. Don't know why he stayed there. Don't know <clears throat> all of that. I can speculate till the cows come home. But he contended with the Lord <clears throat> in that environment. And my point in saying that is, is we all think that if we do everything right and do what the Lord's telling us, the world is going to shape up and be right. Yeah, no. It's not going to happen that way. Now we're fighting against eschatology kind of stuff. It's a fancy word for end times. There is a future that's coming, and it's very specific of what it is. So all he's worried about is, is us being right with him in any given moment in time, regardless of what's going on out there. Right. And we think, well, we don't want to do that. That's stupid. I, I want to make all this better, even in a good way, you know, for everybody else. That's not how it's being made. Mm -hmm. And you got to learn to be okay with the fact of when it's getting weird, you don't know what to do, or you do know what to do, but it ain't working out. Things are going, you go back and you pull your, your face in front of his face, and all of a sudden things will normal out. Well, even if they don't normal out, your focus gets different. Well, relatively speaking. Relatively speaking. It's, that's what happened on the Mount of Transfiguration to me, is... Mm -hmm. Um, when they saw Moses and Elisha and Jesus was transformed in front of them and, and he took on his, his, his garments became white. It wasn't even just like, oh, look, his face is glowing. It was his clothes changed color and, uh, <laughs> and, and became something. The, the, the break between the spiritual and the, the physical dissolved and became the reality and the shadow became one thing at that moment in, in space. And I think people would say, but I don't have any transfiguring moments. Yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. You if you've been convicted or you see things or you find a joy all of a sudden of what's going on, that's the kingdom working. Exactly. That, that's being in the face. That is a transfigured moment. Well, and, and Peter saw that and recognized that it was something special and something awesome. But then he had a very human response to it. Now let's build a religious structure around it. Like physically, let's build a tabernacle to it, a sukkot. Let's build, a, a, in, let's build three of them. One for each, yeah, and 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 you can almost see it. It stopped short of it, but you can see his his thinking pattern. Then people could come up here to this tabernacle, and they could worship here. They could they could really, <laughs> hey hey guys, he said we could we build these. They'll they'll get to meet God like we did. Yeah, yeah. And, his, no, and so his good. motive was good. Yeah, in that he wanted people to see 
but it wasn't for them to see. In fact, that's at the instance where the light, the light cloud shows up, starts speaking about his son who he's pleased in, and they, in the presence of Yahweh, they are they're toast. And on the way down the mountain, Jesus says, "Yeah, don't tell anybody about this." Yeah. So the man think thinking, the fleshly thinking was, we have to build a religious structure to make sure if we do that, everybody will experience this same thing at the end of it. And if it was if that would have happened today, there would have been a 10 steps to the transfiguration moment. You know, it would have been how to bring your church to the mountain or right. whatever, you know. And Jesus was like, yeah, don't tell anybody. This isn't for them. And and when you can look at things like that and you couple it with, all right, we're not wrestling, it's flesh and blood, whatever. When things start, the wheels start going off of everything. And we talk about putting your face back into his. That's when you're like, I don't know what to do here. Yeah. The proper response is what they had at the end. They got on their face before him. Yeah. And they're like, I don't know what to do with what I'm experiencing. I'm just going to experience it and I'm going to trust you in it. And that's the hardest thing for us to do. Well, it is a hard thing to do, but that's where you get refreshed. That's where things come back into focus. That's where you get the courage to move on. Uh, and we want to have it happen one time and then we're encouraged and we're complete. And we never have to deal with that again. Well, if you do that, you don't need God. And he's the key factor in this thing. And so regardless of what the culture's doing, regardless of what you've done in your past, regardless of, and Satan's banging away on all that stuff. That's how this conversation got started. But he's not really a factor in what goes right. Yeah. <laughs> That's the trick. Uh, and all the demonology people get into, and I'm not, I know it sounds yeah. like I'm beating them up, but I'm not. Uh, I was going to say that. And I don't mean it like that. There's some people that really get into some, have to, had to deal with some serious evil kind of things like you would think of, I guess, in the movies and whatever. But the reality of who Satan is that's just another that's just another place where you can be scared and not know what to do. It's not any different than your family falling apart and you don't know how to deal with it. It's the same thing. And it's the same uh approach to dealing with I'm not saying that the family falling apart is a demonic thing, but it may be a part of that. But if you were actually doing the deep demonology kind of stuff and you're afraid of that darkness and that kind of stuff. Uh, that's being fed one way, and that's you're in fear. You don't have fear when you're dealing with the Lord. You have respect, and the fear helps clear up. Well, and a great a great example of that we got to land the plane, yeah. but is when they were the apostles were it was Paul, I believe it was, and the uh, little, little fortune teller girl. Oh yeah, was, yeah, was traveling with them for three days or so. It says, <laughs> and and she was. She was a sorceress, as it were, a fortune teller. She was plugging into this dark realm. And the story reads that she was doing this for quite some And she was actually speaking truth about them. They're the prophets of God. Yeah. She wasn't lying, but it wasn't a good thing. And they seemed to have tolerated her. There wasn't like, oh, my goodness, there she is, you know. Ah! And, you know, get the holy water. That wasn't what, what happened. 
But it, it literally reads when she began to annoy Paul. Yeah, you know, when he got annoyed, he was when like, he got he's like, all right, <laughs> I've had enough of this. He turns around, rebukes her, demons cast out, and everybody gets freaked out because that's how they made money. I mean, it was just like this domino. But the the thing that cues me in on there is Paul's response and his attitude was not fearful. It was the yeah. kingdom view was yes, this is dark. Yes, it's not good. We we get that, but I'm not threatened. Because yeah. I understand who's ultimately in charge. Yeah. And that's for me in both of these passages at the end of this discussion is my admonition is for people to remember who's ultimately in charge. And I've said it a million times in so many different arenas and domains. Understanding the sovereignty and providence of God has helped me deal with so many things I didn't know what to do with. Yeah. It's because you can trust the sovereignty of God. Now, do I have difficulty explaining to people how God is still good and this horrendous evil has happened to them in their lives? Yeah, I do. It's hard. I've had to sit down and do it with young kids and them asking the questions. Why did, why is this happening to me? You know, being in, in not just in foster care, but working in, you know, the rehab facilities yeah. and things that I've worked in, you see stories that, and I don't always have the words for that. I, I because I can't see the end. Yeah, I don't know, um, but I do know he's good, and I just have to keep saying it. And that's my encouragement out of these passages: are you're not wrestling against whoever it is you think you're wrestling against. Yeah, you have to remember who you're wrestling against, which is the principalities, and that to me is an encouragement because on that level we actually have very powerful and strongful weapons. Second yes. Corinthians ten. Yes. And those powerful and strong weapons will tear down strongholds. So yeah. we have to remember our rules of engagement attacked attached to and targeted towards the right enemy. And it says that's when the power really comes. And it, you say, well, what does that look like? It looks like you get on your face in prayer before God and begging him for help. A lot of the time. Seems like all the conditions come back to that one they, form they, or another. They do. When, the answer really is Jesus. It really is. It's, it's just prayer. You got anything else before we go? No, that's it. Guys, we appreciate you joining us. Didn't see a lot of chatter today. Um, we've fallen out of favor with our audience. Not really. It's just Friday. And I hope you, uh, even if you're watching this later, make comments. Uh, we still see those. It still helps us out a little bit. But we're glad you're with us. Y'all have a good day. Bye.